Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. What a great day of worship we've had so far. Give it up for our sister Andrea with that incredible communion message. Of course, uh, you, you gotta love Adele Cortez. What an animated brother there. Give it up for Adele. We've come to the sermon portion of our service. And for our lesson today, we're, we're, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 14 here. And what I love about this passage, in, in the beginning, we, we won't start quite in the beginning today, but in the beginning, Jesus feeds 5,000 men. If you look here in Matthew 14, it's interesting. It says in verse 21, the number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So this isn't even including all the women and children, possibly 10,000 people. All from five loaves of bread and two fish. And the scriptures record that all of them were satisfied. You know, my prayer is that you're satisfied today. You know, we've had a lot of scriptures given. The GNN days, it's quite a long service. And we had a welcome and a communion and a contribution and special. And some, you already feel full. Do you got some room left for the sermon? Do you got some room left for the word of God today? Do you guys want a happy meal? Or do you want a Thanksgiving feast? You see, I only know one way to preach the word of God. That's to satisfy you with the word of God. Amen? Let's get into it here. Look over at Matthew 14. You know, they had around 10,000. My prayer is by this time next year, we have around 10,000 too. Amen? Amen? Join with me here in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The Bible says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know, it's so inspiring here. After Jesus fed around 10,000 people, the Bible records that he gathered his disciples and he got them on a boat to head to the other side of the lake and he dismissed the crowds. And after he did all the dismissing, the Bible records that by himself, he climbed up a mountain. Could you imagine being there for that? Seeing him go up the mountain by himself. And then he prayed. He cried out to God. You know, after his prayer, he would have come down the mountain. And of course, he's Jesus. He's God. He would have known his friends were going through a hard time. And of course, there was a storm. He would have known because he was up in the mountains by the lake. So he would have known a storm was a brewing down there. But he's still, still God, but he's still man. So he came down. He, he's probably looking for a boat. Okay. I, I want to find a boat to go help out my friends. There's no boat available. 
You see, for most men, this would have been a problem. But God always has a solution. He says, you know what? I don't have a boat, but I have a plan. I'm going to walk on the water. And I don't know about you. I know it's been a long service, but bear with me here. Let, 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 let me in your heart here for a moment. Last time I checked, it was impossible for a man to walk on water. I don't know if we get this here, church. This guy defied gravity. This guy broke the laws of physics. This guy walked on H2O. I grew up in Southern California. And of course, being in Southern California, you're going to visit Universal Studios. And growing up, I loved the movie Bruce Almighty, where a man kind of gets to become God for a little bit there. And in the movie, it shows he's walking on water there and whatnot and skipping around. And at Universal Studios, they show you where that was filmed. And there's just the greatest green screen you've ever seen in your life in the background there with a huge man-made lake. And they explain how there's kind of a, a plastic over part of the water where you can kind of skip. So it looks like, and it splashes, it looks like you're walking in the water, but really it's just some plastic. You see, Jesus didn't walk on plastic. He actually defied gravity. I don't know about you guys. I, that's impossible. Therefore, we serve the God of the impossible. And we need to understand this morning, the same God that did the impossible 2,000 years ago is the exact same God you and I are serving this morning. Therefore, if God allowed the impossible all the way back then, I put before you today, church, God wants the impossible in your life. God wants the impossible in your family. God wants the impossible in your Bible talk. God wants the impossible in this church. Our lesson this morning, Houston, it's time to walk on water. Do you want to walk on water? Do you people know how to say amen? amen. I can't preach to a quiet crowd. Can you people say amen? amen. We're smiling in our hearts. Amen, church? You want to learn to walk on water? I don't know about you guys. If I'm going to follow God, I want to do the impossible. Let's learn to walk on water today. You know, for our first point, I quickly want to check out a parallel account of this. Keep your finger here, but look over in Mark 6. We understand all of the Gospels carry various versions of Jesus' ministry. But let's take a look here in Mark chapter 6 very quickly. Mark 6, verse 48. We'll start in verse 47. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Point number one, Jesus sees you. He was praying all night, and the Bible records when he came on down, Jesus saw them. See, you need to understand, this was a very challenging time for the men in that boat, for the apostles, for Jesus' disciples. In the Gospel of John, John records that Jesus dismissed the crowd around sunsets. 
And verse 25 of Matthew 14, we understand that Jesus goes to them at the fourth watch of the night. Now, I know we all know that, but I want to help Eugene out here. We understand the fourth watch of the night is between 3 to 6 a.m. Consider this for moments. If sunset theoretically is around 6 p.m., Jesus would have prayed around 8 to 12 hours on the mountain. But consider as well. John records how the apostles only traveled three to three and a half miles. So that's eight to 12 hours struggling in a storm and only going three miles the whole time. I don't know about you. If you have 12 of us on a boat and that like not some cruise ship, a little first century boat, you know what I'm saying there, guys? That's not like approved by the boat association there. For 8 to 12 hours in an intense storm in the middle of the lake, probably filled with water by now, that's probably a pretty tough day for you and I. You know, in Matthew 14, verse 24, it says they were buffeted by the waves. That sounds so nice in the NIV. They were buffered, and it just sounds like the waves are pushing them out. You know, the ESV records something much more, ac more accurate to the Greek. It says they were beaten by the waves. That word beaten or buffered is the same word used in Matthew chapter 8, verse 6, when the centurion comes to Jesus and says, help my servant, he's suffering terribly. It's the same word for suffering terribly. What's the point? They were suffering terribly by the waves. And the Bible says there in Matthew 14 that the wind was against, isn't it like that the wind's against you? When everything's going wrong and you're getting beaten and you're suffering and then you feel like more and more stuff's against you. Maybe you can feel like that this morning. Can you see the hardship of these men? Can you relate to them? Does the Bible feel alive for you today? Can you see that these men were having a tough time? Maybe you can relate to having a tough time in your heart this morning. But that's not the whole spectrum of tough time. What were they doing before this? Jesus had them be the waiters, be the servers, be the ushers for around 10,000 people. I don't know if you've ever been a waiter. I was never a, a, a waiter, but I was, uh, I was the cleanup crew there. And even cleaning up after four or five tables is pretty hefty. Could you imagine 12 men in charge of thousands to clean? I mean, these guys are tired. Plus now, that takes hours. Plus they've been on a boat for hours, a trip that's supposed to take probably an hour. Yep. These guys were ready for bed, and now they're suffering all night in a storm. Wow. You know, an important lesson here, God allows great challenges before he delivers the great miracles into your life. So, some of you need to hear that again. God allows that great challenge. God allows that great emotional storm. God allows that financial hardship. God allows that relationship challenge. God allowed him to say that, allowed her to say that, allowed you to feel that so he can deliver a great miracle into your life. Let's be honest, though. In the midst of hardship, it's hard to think, like, oh, God's working. This is awesome. Life is great. Chat, maybe you're studying the Bible. Oh, that was such a nice chat. Thank you for cutting my heart so well. This is so, oh, where'd that come from? I thought you were my buddy. 
See, the temptation when challenges and hardship comes, what do you think the guys were feeling? Where did Jesus go? Is he sleeping again like he was that one time? Does he even want to help me? Did he forget about me? How about this? Am I good enough? Some of us that struggle with grace, have I just messed up too many times now and now he's just written me off as done? Maybe he's punishing me in this water. Does Jesus see me? The truth is, absolutely he saw them. And absolutely this morning, Jesus sees you. See, the truth is, God allowed the hard time. We understand from Hebrews 12 that God either allows hardship to happen or he makes hardship and happen in your life. Why? Because he's sovereign, because he loves you. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter gives us some deeper insight into suffering. Some of y'all a little nervous when I come up here. Hopefully our harps are softening up and we're excited to get in the words here. 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 3. Peter says, praise be, and keep in mind that this is the guy that was there in the boat. We're going to see here in a little bit. The guy that walked on water, he's riding now. Amen? First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy. This is so incredible. Look at this. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Some of you got to underline that. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. You know, keep your finger there. Consider that. He says, in this we're saved. Are you fired to be saved? Can you say, I am saved? Can you say it with some gumption? I am saved. Do you believe it, church? Peter says, in that we rejoice that this life is but temporary. Jesus has to come back right now. This life means nothing. You know, your, your electric bill is going to mean diddly squat in heaven. You getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend or not, you staying single the rest of your days ain't going to mean nothing in heaven. Ain't nothing going to mean nothing in heaven, but you rejoicing in your salvation. I pray you're fighting. If you're not fighting about your salvation now, you're not going to have your salvation later. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. Are we greatly rejoicing, church? Though for now, a little while, you may have had to suffer all kinds of trials. Interesting, huh? What trials is he talking about? We understand the book of 1 Peter was written in 64 AD, right in the middle of the reign of Nero, the Roman emperor, who reigned from 54 to 60 AD, the most wicked and cruel Roman emperor up to that point. Nero wanted to build a golden castle, so he burnt the slums of Rome with fire. Fingers started pointing at him, and they said, 
What happened to our city? He pointed to the Christians and said it was them. At that day, immediately on July 64 AD, Christians were arrested, thrown to beasts, and crucified. And what does Peter say? You've had to suffer all kinds of trials. That's the trials he's referring to. You saw your best friend nailed to a cross last week. You saw your kids thrown to the beast last week. You were currently in prison, but I'm writing to encourage you. We get so caught up with our problems. Got to get to lunch here after church. Come on, preacher man, do your preaching. Hopefully the sermon's not the suffering. Oh, man. Work's just so, I, I, I just don't have time to get my nails done this week. I just don't have any me time and I time and me time with we time, just me. And what's Peter saying for them? I'm sorry that your cousin was murdered because he's a Christian. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith may of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. You know, Peter explains the purpose for the trials to refine our faith. And he talks about our faith being of greater worth than gold. We understand gold comes from the earth. And before it's given out, it must be purified. How do they purify gold? Of course, you're going to get a crucible that can take great heats. You're going to put your gold inside and light a fire close to 2,000 degrees. And in the midst of that fire, you're going to burn out all the impurities. And Peter says that's what the trials are. They're burning me. Some of you are so angry. Another storm. Another hardship. God, take this away. He says, I put it there. He says, I'm trying to burn all the impurity out of your life so you can be ready for me. You know, it's interesting. Scientists say that gold is indestructible. It's not going to melt. But here Peter says gold, it's going to perish. It's interesting insight. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter explains how at the end of time when Jesus comes back, all the elements are going to melt. So in the end of the days, gold will melt. All the elements will melt. But if you allow your faith to be tested today, your faith will survive even through the end times. You know, God brings the hardship. God brings the trials to test the genuineness of your faith. Doesn't that inspire you, church? That's why James says, consider it a little bit of joy, right? Consider it pure joy when you face trials. Why? Because God wants to mature you. How do we do this? I want to inspire you here. Look back at Matthew 14. Yes, the, the apostles were going through a trial there on the boat. But he wasn't the, they weren't the only ones going through trials. Jesus had a personal emotional trial going on. You know, at the beginning of John 14, Jesus' cousin was murdered. They cut his head off and killed him, King Herod. And we read in verse 11, When his head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother, John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. 
Then they went and told Jesus. How would that conversation be? Hey, Jesus, they cut your cousin's head off. That would be some news. I don't know about you. That would send anyone into an emotional storm. Verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Can you sense what he was feeling in that moment? Can you see the humanity of Jesus right here? Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Right after this, the crowd of thousands joins, and then he feeds all of them, and they're satisfied, even in the midst of his trials. And now we understand so much more. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and that's when he prayed around 8 to 12 hours. Now we understand Jesus finds out his family member was murdered, and what's he do? He goes to pray. He goes to withdraw. Then all the people join, and Jesus checks out, and he says, let me put me on hold for a little bit, and he goes to serve. And as he's serving, he pours himself out, calls his men to serve, gets them all out. He sends his disciples that he knows are going to try and talk to them in his prayer. He says, you guys get in the boat. You go ahead of me. I'll take care of you later. And he spends hours praying to God. You know, Jesus didn't allow the storms to take him out. He prayed, he served, and then he found the right time to pray and prayed all night until his heart was satisfied. I want to give you a conviction. When you go through hard times, it's okay to withdraw. It's not okay to check out. Some of us are so fine. Well, I'm just going to check out. And you become a negative Nancy, a Debbie Downer, and get all this attitude. What? Where did that come from? I'm going through a hard time, and I want everyone to know it. Jesus fed 10,000 people in his hard time. But how did his hard time not turn into a bad attitude? Because he withdrew with God until his heart was totally resolved. How did Jesus survive through the storms? He went with God. And yes, you're going to get storms. Yes, I'm going to get storms. Yes, we're going to have hard times. But church, I want to give you a conviction. We have to go with God. You know, I want to challenge you this morning. It's time to change your perspective of suffering. That God brings the trials in your life, not because he doesn't like you, not because he hates you, but to grow you. And too often we go through storms like, come on, come on, come on, hurry up. God, what are you thinking? Let's, let's get this thing moving here. I'm really annoyed. i got to go with my life. Said, I'm trying to slow down your life so you can learn from this thing. We need to stop wasting our storms and start embracing our storms. I found this great quote by a commentator yesterday. He said, do you find yourself in a storm today? Maybe some of you can say yes. Ask God for strength and courage to weather it and wisdom and understanding to not waste it. It's time to go through our storms, not by yourself. That's why some of you are struggling. You go through a storm by yourself. But it's time to go through with God and watch God deliver. You know, I just have a few Sundays left here before we go and lead the mission team over to Denver. And this morning I got a little reminiscent. 
and I pulled up some of my first sermons here, here in 2018. I actually showed the kids kingdom workers. It's kind of funny. I cringed when I heard myself preach there. But then I heard the crowd, and the disciples and kids came, and they started laughing. They were just silent the whole time. I was yeah. preaching away yeah. the best sermon I ever did. I was fired up. Yeah. And the, it's just crickets. And, Amen. Uh-huh. And I was preaching to probably this front row here. And to see God multiply his church time and time and time here and on Zoom and all over Houston over the last three years, it's so inspiring from what God has done. But it, it brought me back to 2018, how desperate I felt. Man, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want to. This is never going to change. It's impossible to change. He even brought us to the L Region L. Oh. See, it was quiet there because many of you don't know what that is. See, I was the young church leader, and I knew how to make the best decisions. So I find this place that was like a really good deal. I found it in the middle of Third Ward. It was just the cheapest deal. I was fired up with this price. We can afford this. And it was on this street that part of it was being torn down, and part of it just wasn't the best. It was called the L Region. You can go drive past it, the L Regional Hotel. And in order for us to be there, we had to go basically do construction and cleaning work on it for a bunch of hours. And there was no AC. But it was a great decision. So we're meeting there around August in the middle of summertime in Houston. Everyone's sweating their guts out. And I'm flat preaching the word and wondering why the crowd is silent. In the midst of those trials, it felt impossible. Time felt still, but God got us past those. And in 2019, he took us from the 20s to the 30s. 2020, from the 30s to the 50s. And now he's taking us all the way to 100 disciples in the Lord. See, in the moment, hardship feels impossible. In the moment, time feels still. But let me tell you, it will pass so quickly. If you but go through that trial with God, Go through that hardship with God and watch God work and remember that Jesus sees you. Our second point, do you see Jesus? You know, Mark 6, 48, for the sake of time, you can write it down. It explains how Jesus is walking in the water and he almost walks past them. Some of you struggling because you don't see Jesus at all. You're trying to go through your problems by yourself. They were so fixated on them struggling, they didn't see God walking on water right next to them. Wow. You know, Matthew 14, verse 26, they thought he was a ghost. Some of you are struggling because you have a wrong perspective of Jesus. You have a negative view of Jesus. So when Jesus is there to help, you struggle your face off. And at the end of the day, you wonder why the miracle, oh, it hasn't changed, has it? Because you had a bad ad the whole time. Oh, I'm seeking Jesus. Yeah, with a terrible attitude. The faithless attitude. You think Jesus wants to bless that negative Nancy attitude? Get out of here with that. Matthew 14, verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid today, church. Amen? Amen. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You know, after they realized it wasn't a ghost, amen, Andre was a little confused there. <laughs> wasn't a ghost. 
Peter steps up and says something crazy. He says, hey, if this is real, if you're really Jesus, if you're really God, tell me to come to you on the water. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that inspiring? That he wasn't afraid to ask God for the impossible. Verse 29. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Isn't that inspiring? Jesus told him to come. Saw his bold faith. Saw his radical request. And what happened? A man walked on the water with God. What do we notice here? Peter wasn't afraid to ask for the impossible. So we ask and we ask, but you ask so small. You ask for such small things. Lord, please bless the day. And he blesses your day. You don't see it. Yeah, life's just, yeah, life's boring because you don't ask for great things. Peter was dangerous. Mist of a storm. Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Some of you are like, Lord, just come in the boat and Help us have a good night's sleep. Bless my, my family. And it's gonna be. Peter's like, whoa. Tell me to come to you on the water. Wow. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. An imperative, a command. He's saying, ask and it will be given to you. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. The Bible says that God can do even more than we can ask or imagine. Are you asking for great things in your quiet times? Look over at Mark 11. I want to give you a conviction. Our quiet times need to be like Peter on the boats. Mark 11, a theme for this year for our church. Verse 22, Jesus says, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Isn't that incredible? Jesus promises if you look on that whatever you ask for, if you believe and don't doubt, he is going to do it for you. But what's the first thing he says? Have faith in who? In the Greek on that, it's interesting. The actual Greek phrase is ekata pistin diu. And the word ekata, it, it's an imperative. It's a command. So it's have. It's literally. It'd be literally have with an exclamation point. Have, of course, pistin, which is faith. And theu, we understand that's God in the genitive. So you have of. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it could easily be rendered have God's faith. Wow. Have the faith of God's. So what Jesus is saying, not just... Have faith in God. It's going to be okay. You're going to get through the storm. Peter understood. Uh-uh. Have the faith. Ekata piston to you. Have the faith of God. And he said, what's God's faith? God walks on water. That's my faith. Lord, tell me to come. It's time for your quiet times to stop being so safe. Semia, just play it too safe. You're too much of a safe guy in your quiet time. My prayers are dangerous. You got us in dangerous prayers. Some of you got a little more crazy in your quiet times in the morning. It's time to get excited. 
My life's not boring because I know when I ask, crazy stuff's going to happen. That's all of us. We all got the same spirit. We all have the same power working inside us. We all have the same Jesus in front of us that Peter did. And all of us have the opportunity to ask. Look back at Matthew 14. I pray your quiet time is quite exciting tomorrow morning. Peter walks on the water, and look what happens in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sing, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him, Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Then they climbed the boat, and the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Well, finally, they got it. You know, we'll begin to close out here. Peter sank. Have you ever sank spiritually before? You ever sank financially before? You ever sank in school before? You ever sank in your relationships before? I'm just so inspired that Joshua never sinks. Amen? Have you ever sunk before? We all sink sometimes. Amen? But what does Jesus say when he sinks? You have a little faith. Why'd you doubt? Some of us are so picky on discipling what people say. You want people to say just the right words in the right time to encourage you and just, just, you have little faith. Get up off the ground. Why'd you doubt? And he believes he's going to die. See, Jesus was hard line and straight to the point. We need to be willing to take discipling from our brothers and sisters, even if it's not always comfortable. That's when you clap right there. But it's interesting. Why did Peter doubt? He took his eyes off Jesus, but what did he see? The winds. Consider this for a moment. Can you see the winds? So what was he looking at? No, 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 nothing. Ephesians 2.2, Satan's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the winds. See, this world is Satan's dominion. And when we allow the world to distract us from Jesus, just like looking at the wind, it's pointless. The world has no substance. You think, sister, you think, oh, but if I just win him over and we build a relationship, we can come back and get married. There's no substance that he has no character. It's not going to last, and he's going to send you to hell. See, You can't let the world distract you. It has no substance. It's pointless. It's just that it's gone. He perceived the wind as something dangerous, got scared and took his eyes off Jesus. But notice Jesus never sank. Why? He didn't let the world distract him. He didn't let Satan get in his way. See, it's only when you take your eyes off Jesus that you're going to sink. This year is the year of mountain-moving faith. And we have some great goals of the church this year. We're going to be 100 members in the Houston church this year. We got a goal to get to 100 members, which is a flat miracle from where this church came from. We came from the L region L. With a leader that made incredible decisions. We have goals to raise up leaders and add new cops. I'm so grateful all the cops. We've added Francescan cops this year. We've added Dashing cops this year. 
Andre is kind of like an honorary Denver cop this year. We had a goal to raise up shepherds in training. We got the coils and the castillos, amen? We had a goal to come up with plans to strengthen the weak, and we're flat working on that with all of our hearts. We have a plan for Mercy Worldwide to help the poor, and guess what? We're doing that next weekend. We got a lot more goals than that, but you may be thinking, bro, I don't really like goals. I kind of just want to be free-spirited and let the church grow on its own. Like, don't give me direction how many people will share with it. It's going to happen on its own. I just want to be free. Let's talk about reality. Houston's around 70 members, and there's 7 million lost souls in Houston. That's less than 0.00001% of the population. I don't know about you guys. I don't think God wants the population to be 0.00001%. I think he wants his disciples to have a little more impact than that. Write down 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. You can remember 1, 2, 3, 4. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. It says, God's will is for all men to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. So what's God's will? To save Houston. But with 0.00001%, that's not going to save Houston. I want to ask you, is God's will your will? Because God's will is to save Houston. Some of us feel, but I haven't been fruitful, so I'm going to give up. So you're going to shrink the kingdom because you're not fruitful? That's selfish. Sometimes God doesn't allow certain people to bear fruit for many years, but he wants you to help other people bear fruit. You can't think so much about yourself. What's, what's personal fruit? He says, go and make disciples. That's a team effort right there. How's your faith with God's goal? We got to get our mind out these, let's hit 100, let's raise up a few leaders, let's do a few nice things. No, 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 no. Seven million people is God's only goal in Houston. And we got to stop playing it so safe and get on board with the plan to save as many people as possible. You know, at times... We get angry at God's dream because it gets in the way of your dream. See, we got to get our eyes back on Jesus. And when your eyes are on Jesus, you get fired up for his dream. But let me give you a conviction. We're not worshiping the movement. We're worshiping God's. We're not obsessed with the goals. We're obsessed with our quiet times. We're obsessed with our relationship with Jesus. Did you see all that good news going around the world in the GNN? You can clap for that one. It's not inspiring. Literally, mentioning Crouching Tiger 2. Do you know what that means? It's illegal. Of course, they can kind of have a church in Hong Kong. But the rest of China, it's illegal. There's brothers and some of us struggle so bad with our Christianity here. Do you realize they're not in, their names aren't in there because they're going to get arrested and killed? They're secretly living their Christianity where only God can see and a few leaders around them. And no one else can know for their safety. It's not time to struggle that we get to live in Houston and be disciples and got to take disciples and live life. Praise God, we're not in fear for our lives every single day and can't title our church, but Houston won. Shh. There's a lot of good news. Praise God, we have brothers and sisters willing to put their lives in the line to preach the gospel where you and I can't go.
how do we get our eyes on Jesus? We'll close out here in John chapter 1. Are you guys fired up from the Bible study today? In case you're wondering how I feel, I'm fired up. I, I'm feeling A-okay. If you love this sermon, I feel great. If you don't like this sermon, I'm feeling great. But I pray you change regardless. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Bible teaches that the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Who is the Word but Jesus Christ? And as we open the Bibles every day, we have an opportunity to keep our eyes on Jesus by looking into the Word of God for our quiet times. I thought they were going to be a little more fired up with that. Because for me, if it's just a quiet time that, you know what I'm saying, Eric, if someone just call, calls it a quiet time and I got to do it, hey man, it's kind of boring. But if I realize I'm looking at the face of God, then it's not religious activity, check it off, got my quiet time. It's, it's kind of dangerous. God would kill priests in the Old Testament if they didn't obey perfectly, and we get to stand right in front of the great creator, the same one that took them out. I pray your quiet times aren't so safe. We get to keep our eyes on Jesus every single day. You know, I want to... I want to challenge you. And my last week's here. It's time to get right. I've heard there was brothers and sisters that don't have quiet times. And you're going to fall away. Do you know how much I talk about quiet times? Please text me on today if you don't have quiet times so we can teach you before we go how to have quiet times. A true disciple of Jesus has quiet times every day. You want to know why we have fallaways? Because we fail to teach people to truly walk with God. You want to know someone that's not going to walk away from the kingdom? Someone that's indebted and in love with Jesus Christ. Where do you fall in love with them? Hearing the sermon? I'm sure that's going to help, but it's from getting in the word of God every single day on your own consistency over years. I appreciate you, Gene Clout. We got to start clapping. Can you people say amen? I want to give you a challenge. It's time to have radical quiet times. But we just can't read. As Mark 11 says, when you read and when you pray, you need to what? Believe what you ask for. It's time for us to believe the Bible. The Bible says the harvest is plentiful. God's not a liar. Don't call God a liar. The harvest is plentiful. You can bear fruit next week. The Bible says you can't change. Stop saying I can't. Stop saying I won't. Stop saying I'm not. It's time to say I can, I will, I must. Here we go. The Bible says, don't worry and God will provide. Knock off your anxiety and fall to your knees in prayer. Decide that anxiety, sin, and worship your gods. The Bible says, God will take care of your family. Stop putting your family above the kingdom and put your God first and watch your God provide. The Bible says, God will immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. It's time to believe it like never before. 
I put before you, church, God wants immeasurably more to happen in Houston. But I, I, I want you to know right now, everything that's happened at this point, it's just the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to hit all our goals this year. Yeah. You bet your bottom dollars, Annie said. Amen. We're going to hit all of our goals this year. And we're going to impact Texas and plant churches all around. We're going to have churches in San Antonio and Austin and Galveston and Corpus Christi and College Station. We're going to reach all of Texas together. Not only that, we're going to raise up leaders and raise up disciples and literally send disciples. We're not just building up Texas. We're a unified family. We're going to go all around the world. We're going to raise up evangelists and women's ministry leaders and preachers that are going to preach the world. And guess what, family? Houston, it's time to walk on water. Amen. Amen.